Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. I'm, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm Safari Dave, as you saw from that video. Whew, man, that was embarrassing filming that, but all for, all for the glory of God. Uh, we're excited to have you here with us this morning. Uh, we are in a series called Asking for a Friend. We've been going through this the last couple of weeks. Kind of the thought process behind the series is tackling questions uh, maybe that you have, maybe questions that a friend has posed to you, or maybe there are questions that you've thought about and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I really want to ask this. So you pass it off and you say, hey, uh, I'm asking for a friend. And uh, I know that's something I used to do back in my single days, you know, when, when you'd see like a cute girl and you weren't sure if they were single or not, you'd go up to one of her friends, you're like, hey, I'm just asking for a friend, but, but are they single? Right? you kind of check it out. Anybody do that out there? Jeez, it's a good tactic. Jeez, guys. Uh, but over these past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at questions. Pastor Greg addressed some really good questions. One was, you know, what's, what does heaven actually look like? What is our idea of heaven? Looking at scripture, uh, last week he was focusing on, is Jesus really the only way? And I think we have another solid question that we want to tackle this morning. And that question is, if I love Jesus, why do I need the church? And I think that's a quality question to ask. You know, many of us uh, might know people, or we might even be in that boat ourselves, where we have a relationship with Jesus, we acknowledge him as our Savior, but you're thinking, man, do I, do I need to come to church service? Do I need to be part of a church to really grow in my faith? And... Uh, you know, I, I ask myself that sometimes too. You know, I think we think about church and coming specifically here maybe on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings. Uh, but you might think, hey man, I got to get up early. It's Sunday morning. I could be sleeping in. There's football on. Or if I come on Saturday night service, you know, this is one of my few uh, open nights I can hang out with my friends or my family. I have to drive here into the parking lot, sometimes park really far away. It's super crowded when I come in. It's super crowded when I leave. Uh, you might think if you have kids, right, you got to get up even earlier. I got to get my kids ready. And sometimes you're fighting the clock and it always seems like you're late, right? You miss worship. You miss our handsome MCs up here giving announcements. Maybe you catch a little bit of the message and then you head back home and, and you begin to think, man, was that really worth it? Was it worth, worth my time? I know for some people, they head into the lobby after service is over and there's hundreds of people there. And you might be new to the church. You may not know many people and you're just kind of hanging out. You're like, man, I don't know any of these people. Or if you do know someone, you engage with them, and you kind of have maybe some awkward uh, small talk, and, and you're thinking, I've been around people all week long. Do I really want to be around a couple hundred people on the weekend? No, I'll pass. I'll stay home. And one last thing is you could come and you think, man, Pastor Gary's not preaching. Pastor Greg's not preaching. Man, we got the Mexican pastor today. You're like, come on, man. And I would say that, hola, amigos. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure none of you guys are thinking that, but uh, seriously, I think this is a question many people struggle with, and it's a question I'm excited to kind of dive in with you guys. So let me open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump into the message today. Uh, Father, you know, thank you for, for giving us a chance to be here. The church, Lord, you know, our, our people that are gathered here today is the church. And Father, we, we just want to come and experience you. We, we want to dive into this question of why do we need the church, uh, Father. I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, you know. No matter where people are coming from this morning, maybe they have a lot of stuff on their mind. This week's just been a grind. But Father, help them just to bring all that to you. Help them to focus on you, to hear the things that you want them to hear. Uh, Father, I pray if we have guests here today, Lord, that they would just feel welcome, that they would experience you in a special way. And Father, give me wisdom, Lord. I know as I was preparing for the message this week, I, you know, I just in many ways felt very ill-equipped to share it. Uh, but I'm relying on you, Father. So just the things that you made apparent to me, the scriptures that uh, really... Uh, stood out, you know, the illustrations, let them come out exactly the way that you want them to this morning. Uh, we're thankful to be here with you, and so we pray all this in your precious name. Amen. So looking at this question, you know, if I, if I love Jesus, why do I need to go to the church? I think it's a very relevant one, but I think before we get into answering that, I think what's really important is that we have to define what church actually is. 
uh, what does church actually look like? And I think we might have some uh, preconceptions about church that many of us do uh, that aren't exactly true. And so I wanted to flesh that out for you. And I think the first thing is just thinking, you know, church isn't this building, right? It isn't this building, this great building we get to come to with air conditioning and a lot of different rooms. You know, church isn't a series of special events that we have. It's not this collection of ministries that we offer throughout the week. And it's really not even like an institution. A lot of people think of church as an institution. You know, we, we assemble here at this building, right, 2549 West 190th Street in Torrance. I've had to memorize that address, uh, you know, over the years. But that isn't the church. And I think if we really want to know what the church looks like, we need to look at Scripture. What, what does church look like according to Scripture? And we go to the book of Acts. I know oftentimes we'll reference this passage when we're talking about the church. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the church coming together for the very first time. You know, Christ um, has, has preached the gospel. He has poured it into his disciples. Uh, he's died. He's risen from the dead. Now he's gone back to be with his Father in heaven. And he's discharged his disciples to go out and to form the church, to, to spread the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. And this is what we're going to pick up and see here in Acts chapter 2, uh, specifically verse 42. Uh, hopefully you guys have your Bibles. You can flip there. Uh, you guys have your verse sheets in your program, so you can pull that out and follow along. We'll also have the scriptures up here on the screen. But let's look and see what this passage says. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I love these verses. Uh, every time I read it, because I think it really creates a mental picture, right? You really get an idea of what uh, these disciples were doing, what these followers were doing. You know, they were, they were giving sacrificially, so they gave to those that had need. So what I have was yours, and if you had need, I would be able to give that to you. It says that they prayed. It said they studied the word of God. It says that they were growing in number as a result of this. And I think you just get the sense overall that they, they like being with one another. They enjoyed each other's company. They enjoyed spending time together. And they were unified by their faith and their love for Jesus. But if you look in this in verse 46, or something I wanted to point out, it says they didn't really have a building to meet us. And they met at the temple courts. They would gather at the temple courts. And I think what this shows is that the temple courts wasn't their church, that it's the people who were following the example of Jesus that they were the church. The people were the church, so whether they were in the temple courts, whether they gathered at someone's home, whether they met uh, someplace else entirely, those people, as they were going, they were the church. And I think that was true then, and, and this is true now. Because I think if you're a Christian, church isn't, and a lot of us, we have this idea, and I think it's just normal, like, hey, I'm going to church today, right? And it's thought, I'm going to this building, I'm going to this specific location, and we're super blessed to have this building to meet in. But man, we could go anywhere. And at certain points in our church's history, we did go everywhere. We, we didn't have a home for a few years. So uh, one time we met at Charles H. Wilson Park and we had church there. We went to whatever church would host us. But wherever we went, that's, what, that's where the church was. It wasn't the location. And you know, our pastors, as we come up here and we minister, we don't minister at the church, but we minister to the church. Each and every one of you make up South Bay Community Church. All of you there, all these people up on stage, all those kids and kids crew, all those servants throughout the church, that is the church. That is South Bay Community Church. And so your first point in your program is you don't just go to church, you are the church. You don't just go to church, you are the church. 
You know, something else we see in the New Testament is uh, that you didn't isolate yourself from the church, but instead it was something that you really committed to, uh, you really engaged in. And I want to look at three different passages in Acts that, that point this out. We're going to read these scriptures, we're going to highlight some things in there, and we're going to see some connection points of what this actually looked like. And so we're actually going to go back to Acts chapter 247, a verse we just read. Um, you guys can follow along with this. And this verse is, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And if you guys could underline, add it to their number and underline those who were being saved. Okay, let's jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead to Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 12. And we're going to see kind of what's going on. This church is progressing. It's moving. The apostles and the disciples are sharing. So let's see what happens here in verse 12. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And if you guys can underline, believed in the Lord and added to their number. You know, here the apostles are doing their thing, right? Signs and wonders are, be, are being done in the Lord's name. Uh, and it even says that, you know, they, uh, no one else dared join them. And the fact that I think because so much was happening now, they were starting to meet resistance. People were wondering who this Jesus was, why all these people were being added to their number. There was an idea that this, this church was really on the move. Um, but people still came to Christ as they believed in the Lord. And when they believed in the Lord, they were added to this number. So let's jump ahead. One last verse we'll read here, Acts chapter 11, verse 20. And see if we see the same theme kind of playing out here. It says in verse 20, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And if you guys had underlined, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Again, more people, more and more people were moved uh, by the good news of Jesus. So what happened? A great number of them believed, and they turned to the Lord. And I think the connection point in all these verses is people were added to the number, right? People were added to the number, they were added to the Lord. The connection point in all these verses is that if you were added to the family of Christ, you were added to the church. They were kind of one and the same, right? So if you came to know Christ, if you gave your life over to the Savior, then you were automatically a part of the church. And if you were a part of the church, you automatically were a part of God's family. They went hand in hand. They were connected together. And that's your next point, church, is that if you are added to the family of Christ, you are added to the church. There was not this sense that, you know what, I could be a Christian on my own. I can isolate myself. If I know God, that's fine. I can do my own thing and grow my faith on my own. No, you were a part of the church body at that point. You were committed to a family that was larger than you if you came to Christ. That was part of the deal, and there was no separation point between the two. And I think that's because, you know, all the believers at the time, they collected in lo local assemblies, kind of like we, we gather this morning. And these letters that were written to the believers, these instructions that were sent out, they were sent to the Christian people. And so as apostles were writing these, as they were giving instruction and Bible teaching, uh, where, did they, where did they know the believers were at? They know, well, I can't reach all these believers at different spots, so I know the place that they congregate, the place that they assemble is the church. That's where the believers are going to be. And that's what we see with all the letters in the New Testament, that they're addressed to churches. And, or if they're not addressed to a church, they're addressed to a church leader who would then take that and share that information and share that teaching with the people. That's where, that's where these uh, apostles and teachers knew how to reach the people. And the people knew that that's where they had to go. They wanted to hear what pastors, apostles, teachers had to say, so they knew that's the place they had to be, was with their church family. 
And yet today, you know, I think we get the idea that, you know, it looks a little bit different, right? We're in a different era, a different time. We can kind of isolate ourselves in a different way. There's a lot of different ways to go about maybe being a Christ follower. And I think what we see, and numbers will point this out, is that church attendance is actually declining. It's declining more and more. And maybe we don't see that because we're here at this church and we've been really blessed to see attendance increasing. But that's not the case for a lot of these churches here in the local area and all over the world. And I wanted to share some statistics with you that really kind of prove this point. You know, recent surveys claim that 38% of Americans are churchgoers, but only half of that number actually find their way to church on any given Sunday. Another statistic says we live in an era where 94% of churches either aren't growing or they aren't growing as fast as the communities that they're in. And I know this is something Pastor Gray will point out time and time again. He talks about how a lot of churches have plateaued, right? They've either kind of reached their pinnacle or they're starting to descend in attendance now. They're no longer growing, and they're certainly not growing in a way that can fit the amount of people that are coming into the community. And the last one, I think this is the one that's the most sad to me, kind of deals with uh, our college students, our young adults. It says, when you look at younger Americans in particular, uh, sadly, only 28% of Americans between the ages of 23 to 37 attend church at all. So maybe one in four actually go to some church of some sort. And again, man, this is something that's come on our radar more and more. Pastor Gary uh, and I will talk about this. Uh, but we realize there's so many students that maybe came here, maybe in middle school or high school, but now they're in college, maybe they've just graduated, and we don't see them anymore. We don't know where they went. We know they don't attend church here regularly. We're not sure if they attend church in some other place or they go to a ministry on their campus, and we're not even really sure of what their faith is. And these were, these were students that were a big part of this church, and that, that kind of breaks our hearts. You know, It breaks our hearts to think, where, where are these people? Have they fallen away in their faith? And that's why I'm really thankful for our college ministry. You know, they recently just made the move from Thursday night to Saturday night. Right after Saturday night service is over, they gather at 7 p.m. And the thing that always just brings me encouragement is when I walk in that lobby, I know college ministry is about to happen because there's usually like 20 or 25 of them, and they're kind of all huddled together in the lobby. But, you know, I smile at that because I think, man, that's what they desire. They need community. They need a community of people who love the Lord to come together and to think that they're getting that there. That's what anchors them. That's what really allows them to have deep roots in Christ. And so I'm hoping that ministry just continues to grow. You know, this kind of now that we've defined the church, you know, knowing that the church is the people, right? It's not the building. And knowing that, hey, if you're part of the church, you're part of the family of Christ. I don't know if we've kind of defined church. I think we can jump into this question now. If I love Christ, why do I need the church? Why do I need it at all? And I struggle with this because there's so many good reasons we need the church. Uh, that how would I cover this within a, you know, a 40 to 45 minute message? Uh, there's only a couple things I really want to focus on, some primary reasons, but I wanted to share just some quick hitters. And I came across a great article on Hillsong's website. Hillsong had, a, had an article, 99 reasons you should go to church this weekend. Real quick, just one sentence answers, but I wanted to share some with you. I promise I won't go through all 99 because we, we don't have time for that. Um, but I took about 10 or 11 of them. Some of them hopefully you guys can resonate with, uh, you'll agree with. So let, let's jump into these. Uh, number one. Uh, why we should attend church on a weekend. It says, the Bible indicates it's what we should do. The Bible tells us that. Hebrews 10, 25. We shouldn't giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, uh, but that we should encourage each other, right, in love and good deeds. You know, the Bible tells us, man, we should be in a church community. Number two, if you have kids, it will teach them to value God and his church. Man, you know, kids who come, you know, I see these parents who bring their kids week after week. This teaches them something. And even if they're not picking up on the Bible lesson, but it teaches them the importance of church and community. It sets a, a great foundation for them. Number three, it will literally change your life for eternity. 
And if you think about that, how many things can you honestly say that about that will impact you beyond just the here and now, but that will impact you for eternity? That's what going to church and learning about God does. Number four, the preaching of the Bible will help set direction for your life. You know, we come here uh, many mornings or evenings, and what the pastors are sharing really provide direction as they take the Word of God and, and they share it with us and they break it down. It provides directions and answers questions that we might have. Number five, this one, you know, not a primary reason we should go to church, but it's a great benefit. If you're single, man, you may meet someone. It's just true. And I, I am a strong uh, proponent of this because I met my wife in a small group. So, man, it works. You know, so why not, right? I know there's many of you who've met your boyfriends or girlfriends, your husbands, your wives here at church. What a great place to come, right, to see people who have the same faith, to see them in a community setting, a great place. But that shouldn't be your primary reason. <laughs> just kind of more higher on the list if you're single. But... Number six, you're likely to hear and be encouraged by answered prayers. You know, this is a house of prayer, right? We pray, and, and I think there's something so encouraging to seeing prayers answered. Maybe it's not your prayers, but something you prayed for somebody else. And, man, God is real, and he's moving. Uh, number seven, this is kind of crazy, but people who attend church usually live longer. And I didn't make this up. I actually Googled it. I'll read this for you. It says, the study in question was conducted by Harvard. They surveyed about 75,000 female nurses in the nation, and they asked if they attended religious services. The researchers discovered that the females who attended church service had a 33% lower risk of fatalities than those who did not attend a service. So ladies, go to church. You're going to live longer. I promise. Guys, I don't know if that works for us, but you know what? That's a reason you could do it. Uh, number eight, this is a big one uh, that I think is something the church provides. It allows you to be disciplined, mentored, and pastored. And I think, man, we, we go to the church, and one of our expectations, rightfully so, is, man, I could come, and I'm going to be engaging with people who maybe have just been in the faith longer. They might have some wisdom that they can impart with me. They can discipline me. They can mentor me. I want to come to a church where I can trust the pastors and the leaders and what they teach. And that is something, man, that the church can provide that's really hard to find in other areas of life. Number nine, it reminds you that you're not alone. And you think about the environments that you guys are in each and every week, whatever that may look like, maybe at your workplace, you're like, man, I think I'm the only one here who knows Christ. So what an encouragement is to come and be with hundreds of other people that share your faith, that can encourage you, that are in the same boat as you are. I think that's one thing church provides. Number 10, you'll be able to worship God alongside hundreds of other people who love Christ Jesus just like you. Right, corporate worship, we come here, we praise God. I was backstage, I heard you guys whooping it up, right? You guys were worshiping God together. And man, we can do that in the shower, we can do that in the car, we can sing songs of praise to God, but man, there's something about being around so many other people worshiping you. And outside of a concert, you know, where else can that happen? Where else is that encouraged? And number 11, the last one that I wanted to share, says it reflects a life, live for others, and not just for myself. Right? I think church teaches you, hey, it's not just about you, it's about your brothers and sisters and all of them that are around you and how you can serve them and how you can care for them. Now, what a great list, right? A great list. Hopefully some of those reasons resonated with you. But I think it was the last reason that I shared that caught my attention. And I think it's one of the two reasons that I wanted to focus on with our remaining time. That a life lived for others is really the opposite of a life lived alone or a life that's lived in isolation. You know, we, we come to church to be others-focused, right? But when we remove ourselves from the church body... We're isolated. We're, we're a little more me-centered in that because we no longer have these people around us to keep us accountable, to encourage us. And yet for many of us, you know, we, we choose to remove ourselves from the church. And I think it's possible to come to church and you kind of just stay on the fringes, right? You come, you check it out, you got one foot in, you're not really committed, nobody knows you, so if you pulled yourself out of it, nobody would, would, would recognize that, no one would be the wiser. 
Or maybe you just choose, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go to church at all. I just, it's not for me. And I think the reality is, is that there's a lot of healthy avenues to grow in our faith outside of church. I don't want to paint this picture that the church is the only way. There's a lot of really healthy ways to grow in your faith with Jesus. And I think a few of them. One is, man, there's tons of online options nowadays. Man, go on YouTube. How many videos and messages can you find that teach you about God? Uh, every church has access to some type of uh, their sermons that are, are taped and recorded. We do it Sunday afternoon. Boom, you can watch the message that happened this weekend. And so there's so many ways to do that, whether it's online or whether it's podcast. A lot of great ways to grow in your faith. For some of you guys, you choose to, hey, you know, instead of going to a church, I just I kind of want a smaller community. I'm going to grab a few people that I know well, a few people that I trust. I'm going to meet with them. Maybe it's an official small group, or maybe it's just a group of people that gather together, and you guys pray for each other. You share what you're struggling with, with each other. You encourage each other. Maybe you guys go through a study together. And man, that's super healthy. It's super healthy to have something like that that you can turn to. And I think the biggest one is just one-on-one, right? Like, I don't need the church because it's just me and it's Jesus. And I can crack my Bible open in the morning or at night. I can read passages. I can pray to him. And that's all I really need. And I would say to these and much more, man, these are healthy church. Please invest in these avenues to grow in your faith. If you have each of these going on, you're going to continue to be a healthy Christian. But I would say in reality that none of these avenues are meant to replace the church. They might be supplemental, they might go alongside it, but they're not meant to take the church's place. In God's eyes, the church still holds a very, very important part in our walk with Christ. And if all our spiritual life with Christ looks like, and we might not even realize it, it looks just like that, then what we're doing is we're disassociating ourselves from God's family. We're taking ourselves away from the church. If that's all that it looks like for us, And we can't isolate or remove ourselves from the church because we need those relationships that the church provides. We may may not think we need those relationships, but I think as we go deeper into this, you'll realize I need those relationships. And other people need me to be there because God wants to use me. You know, I think about this idea of being adopted into the family of God, right? We're adopted into this family, and we aren't to separate ourselves from it. And we see this in just a beautiful piece of scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, one of my favorite passages, it says this. God decided in advance to adopt us. It says he adopted us. And I don't want to just skip past that word, but what does it mean that he adopted us? It means just like we adopt people nowadays, is that, man, you, we were handpicked. You know, when you're adopting someone, you're selecting them. You're intentional. God said, man, I'm adopting. I'm handpicking that person to come into my family to be with me. And it says he adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Man, so this is what he wanted to do. He willingly did this, and it gave, gave him great pleasure. He took joy in it. This verse is saying that when you were saved, it's like you gained Christ, but you didn't just gain Christ. You gained the church family. You gained the church body, and you gained every blessing that comes along with that. Just like a child who is adopted by a family, they now have a, a family of their own. They come into that family, but they get all the benefits that come with that family. Right? All the financial blessings, all the care, maybe even when those parents pass away and they're, they're, they're uh, bestowing their possessions in a will, now they are heirs to that as well. They get all of that. And that's what we get as a church family. So to think that we could separate ourselves from that, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. It can't be separated. I think of, you know, if I had a really good friend, just a brother that I knew for years, right? I love this guy, I grew up with him, you know, we did life together. And then we head into a different stage of life, and he gets married. Now he's married, he has a wife, and he has kids. 
And in reality, you know, I still love my friend, but you know, I'm not too crazy about his wife. And I'm not too crazy about his kids. And I go up to him one day and I just said, hey man, I love you, brother. You know, you're, you're my friend for life. But you know what? I'm not a big fan of your wife and kids, so you know, they, they gotta go. They gotta go. Like, what is that person gonna say, right? He's gonna tell me, no, you gotta go, right? This is my wife, this is my family. They are now a part of me. We are a unit, we are a family. You can't separate us, you can't just take one and not the other. We're a whole together. And yet I think that's what it looks like for a lot of us with the church. We say, hey, I'm, I'm down with Jesus, I love Jesus, but the church, the church has gotta go. I don't like those people. I don't wanna be around those people. And I think as we look at that, you know, I, I start to, to kind of look at that, and I think, man, that's, I could see why we'd approach it that way, because people can be difficult. I think people can definitely be difficult. But I think it brings us to one key reason we need the church. And I think we need the church because our faith grows through relationships. Our faith grows through relationships. You know, we can learn and study the truths of the Bible all we want. We can genuinely believe it. But there's something about actually entering into a relationship where God puts those things that we learn, and all of a sudden it's practically applied. And that happens in the context of relationships, right? All these things that we learn in the Bible, how to care for people, how to love people, we can say we believe that. We might actually do it. But, man, until you're interacting with someone, until you're in a relationship with someone, that's where it really comes to life. And... I saw this whole principle play out for me. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've shared with you guys a few times now just about my health struggles. Um, I wanted to share just one specific part about that because I really saw this come to life in a special way. Uh, you guys, in the last May, I was diagnosed with, with tongue cancer. They had to take you know, half my tongue out. Um, everything went well with the surgery. I was in the hospital for a week. Um, but you know, the part I struggled with the most in that whole process was the radiation. You know, they, they tested me because they wanted to make sure that the cancer hadn't spread anywhere. So they tested my lymph nodes, and it only showed up in one lymph node, but they wanted to be cautious, and I'm, I'm thankful they did. They said, hey, if it's in one, we want to make sure we get all the cancer cells out of there, so we're going to give you a round of radiation. And what that looked like was it was 30 treatments spread over six weeks. I would go Monday through Friday, and i go through these treatments. And for the first two weeks, man, it wasn't bad at all. You know, I was going there every day. I'd go to Torrance Memorial, uh, get these treatments, and I... You know, other than a little bit of tingling in my tongue, I didn't really feel anything different. I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty easy. But what the doctors told me is like they said, starting in week three, week three is when you're, you're going to start to notice some discomfort. You're going to start to see things change. And man, they were spot on. Almost to the day I woke up, uh, actually it was the day uh, I had gotten married right after the second week. Labor Day was the next day, so I didn't have a treatment. That following day I went back and man, all these things started popping up. And my mouth was beginning to blister, which made it very difficult to chew and to swallow food. And over that period, you know, I just couldn't get the food that I would drink. And sure, I think I lost 20 to 25 pounds over that time period. I couldn't get enough food into my body. And what I could eat, I couldn't taste. Because the part of my tongue that they put back in didn't have taste buds on it because it came from my arm. And the actual taste buds I still have were now fried because of the radiation. So even when I ate stuff, it was just like eating nothing. You couldn't taste anything. Uh, you know, the burning of my tongue was starting to affect my speech. I couldn't talk, or if I did talk for a long period of time, my, my mouth would start to ache. And I actually, I started to get weaker and weaker. The things, I, I wanted to continue to work through this time as much as I could, but I just felt I was getting slower, and I was getting more and more tired, and things that were so easy before just took so much effort to do. 
And as these weeks went on, man, I began to dread. I began to dread driving down to Torrance Memorial and getting on that table each and every day. And I'd have to jump up on this table because they were uh, doing the treatments on my mouth. They had to secure my face down, so they made this face mask that would fit perfectly over my face. They would bolt my head down to this table so that my head wouldn't move, so that the radiation would be precise. They would ask me to open my mouth, and they made me a mouthpiece and stuck that mouthpiece in. Kind of scary looking there, and, but that would keep my mouth open so that they could target where they wanted to target. And it was only 20 minutes I was on that table, 20, 25 minutes. But man, it was so uncomfortable. And I would always just look up at the, there and I'm like, God, help me get through this. Help me get through this. And there was, as the weeks went on, the discomfort grew more and more because my mouth was more and more raw. And to be perfectly honest with you guys, uh, there'd be times, I think week five, week six, where I would drive up to Torrance tomorrow. I'd, I'd be in that parking garage. I'd be sitting behind the wheel. And uh, I would, before I walked in, I, tears would just be coming down my face. And, you know, I didn't want to show emotion. I, I wanted to just suck this up. I didn't want to show it in front of my wife. I didn't want to show it to the church staff or the church or my family. But, man, I felt so bad. And knowing I had to go back in there again, just looking at this whole process, I felt so drained physically and spiritually. And I would just sit there and, and try to wipe the tears away before I went. I would say, God, you know, this... Help me, Lord. This is just momentary. You're with me. This will pass. It will get better. And it was such a, a difficult time. And I share all this with you, church. I share all this with you because those struggles, you know, really brought the scripture alive in a way that I don't think anything else could. You know, I could come up here and I could preach the word of God. I could get up here and tell you guys, hey, you know, God is with you. He'll be there with you in your darkest times. And that is true, right? That's what I actually believed. I could recite verses like Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and be like, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest and tell you guys that and actually believe it and mean it with all my heart. But now I could come up here and tell you, now that I've gone through this, like, man, I've been there, church. I've sat there and I, where I felt so weak and I was hurting. And I know without a shadow of a doubt in the deepest part of my gut that God is with you. And that verse comes to life in a way that I could never approximate in another way and the way I could never bring to life in a different way. Now it's real because I went through it. Now it's real because I held on to that verse for dear life. And there's something about taking the scripture and putting it into action that happens when we're in circumstance or happens when we're in relationships that will bring it to life in our lives. That's why we need people. Because we can say these things and trust it and believe it, but until we actually are interacting with people and going through things with them, that's when we'll see it come to life. And it won't longer just be a passage, some words on a scripture that we recite and we know intellectually. It'll be something that's real in our hearts. That's how the scripture comes to life. And I believe that's why we need relationships with people. And it's in those relationships that we feel true love for our brother and sister. Until we interact with them and we see these people at the church and we walk with them in their times where they're struggling and we listen to the things that they're going through, that man, those scriptures are coming to life, right? That's why we need these relationships because our faith is growing through that. And maybe on the flip side, that helps us too. It, it was difficult people. It's not just in the good times, but putting scripture into practice in the difficult situations with people that we might not necessarily choose to be around. Maybe there's people here at this church or people that you see, man, this person's challenging. They're hard. They rub me the wrong way. If I was outside in the real world, I would never choose to be around them. But man, we engage them here at the church because scriptures tell us we're to love our neighbor, we're to walk with them, we're to show them grace and patience even when they, we feel like they don't deserve it. 
And that's putting that scripture into practice. But that happens within the context of relationship. It's not just being around a few hand-picked people that you like that are easy to be around. It's being around the whole church body, the good and the bad. You know, I think about this whole idea, and it brings to mind a great set of scriptures that we see called the one another's. Uh, the one another's, we see them all throughout the New Testament. This phrase, one another, is used, I believe, a hundred times in the New Testament. All different types of ways, but usually it's meant in connection with relationships. And you may be familiar with some of them. Some are very uh, popular. They bear with one another in, in their burdens. Maybe it's encourage one another. Maybe it's accept one another. But they all have to do between you and between somebody else. And interestingly enough, half of these verses actually gave instruction to the church. They were written to the church to be able to deal with the church and to kind of navigate these relationships. And they, a lot of them focus on unity and love. And one of my favorite ones is in Romans 12.10. It says, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. You know, many Bible scholars, they believe these verses are the heart of the New Testament. They show us what it means to be deep friends, uh, that each and every one of us wanted to be treated the way that it calls us to in the one another. So we want to treat people that way, but we're also hoping we're the beneficiary of the one another, that so people would encourage us and love us. But the one another verses, they focus on loving one another. But the thing you'll realize is they don't focus on avoiding one another, on taking ourselves away from people. They encourage us to go towards them. But to do this, we need to be in relationship with one another. And we feel like, if we feel like we don't need, we need the church, I think what we're cutting out of our lives is a huge canvas that God uses us to grow, to put these one another's into action. We're taking a big piece of how God moves and we're taking it out of our lives and how we can live these truths out. And if we can't live out these verses in the church, you know, if I can't come out here and I can't encourage someone, I can't walk with them and listen to them, I can't pray with them, if I can't do it for my brother or my sister, how do I think I'm going to do it when I'm in the workplace? Or how do I think I'm going to do it when I'm driving and I'm interacting with people there? How do I think I'm going to do that with a perfect stranger? If I can't do that with someone who's supposed to be my family, that God has called to be my brother and sister, that makes no sense that you'd be able to do that out there. We practice it here so that we can take it out there. And if we are able to do it out there, we can only do it occasionally. We're not going to be able to do that time and time again like God calls us to do that. You know, I wanted to, to focus on something here, you know, as we close this out. And, and I think, you know, for some of us consciously, we remove ourselves from church uh, for a lot of legitimate reasons. But I know there are many people here today that have removed themselves from the church or don't want to be part of the church. It's because they've experienced deep hurts within the church from the people from the leaders, from the servants. And some of these, uh, we hear them all the time, you know, just as our pastors, people will share with us things that they've experienced outside in other churches and things they've experienced right here at South Bay Community Church. You know, I think there's some people who come and like, I, I can't be at the church because when I was there, you know, I really felt a lack of compassion from people. When I was going through something, they judged me. You know, there wasn't care like there's supposed to be, like it says in the Bible, people judged me and I just didn't really feel cared for. Some people leave the church because they're going through something difficult. They're like, man, isn't the church supposed to walk with me in this? Like, I lost a loved one, or I've lost my job, or financially I'm hurting, but nobody's reaching out to me. Nobody's acknowledging that. Why should I be at the church? Some people have been faithful servants to the church for years. They've served week in and week out, given their time, used their gifts, but no one acknowledges it. No one appreciates it. 
and they just feel like a cog in the machine that keeps the church moving. You know, and you could take them out, replace them with somebody else, and no one would ever miss them. It's like, why would I want to be a part of that? Some people have been misled by false teaching. They've sat under pastors and people that they trusted, and they've been led astray, right? We hear that all the time in churches, that that's really common, false teachers. You know, maybe a teacher or a pastor that you really put your hopes and you really put your trust in, a pastor that you held in such high regard, and they fell because of a sin. There was a sin issue in their lives, and now they've been taken out of their position or they stepped away from their position. And that, man, that has just rocked your faith because you trusted this person. You held them in high regard, and now they were, they were withholding something from you. They were lying to you in a way. You're like, man, if that's the leaders of the church, if that's the people we're supposed to listen to, then I'm out of here. And finally, for some of you, it might have been, hey, I've been at a church for years, and the church closed up its doors. It's no longer here. It slowly died. And this, this church, this community that I love so much that I dedicated my time to, it's no longer there. And I look at all these reasons, I think, man, these are legitimate reasons. Because in all of these, you're opening yourselves up. You're kind of putting your heart out there to the church. And it's being damaged. It's being hurt in some way. And so your natural reaction to that is to pull it back and say, hey, I'm going to protect myself. I love Jesus, but I don't need these people, and I don't need the hurt that comes with it. And I would even say this, some, it may not be a deep hurt like this, but maybe you come to the church, and there's just people there that rub you the wrong way. It's, maybe it's not a deep hurt, but there's people that I don't want to associate with that person. Whenever I interact with them, they just have things to say that I don't like. And so, man, do I really want to be, in my free time, do I really want to choose to be around people that I don't really don't care for, and I wouldn't choose to be around outside these doors? And I, I remember, you know, an instance uh, where, where someone said something to me that really rubbed me the wrong way within the church. You know, I was helping out with our middle school ministry, Evolution. Uh, I served there with a lot of years with Pastor James. And, you know, the parents would come, and they would come pick up the kids. So we would talk to the parents when they come and just small talk with them. And I remember one time I was talking to this one dad, and uh, somehow it came up. I was single. Back then, people used to joke about me being single all the time. Those days are over now. Yes, you know. <laughs> So no more jokes like that. But he, he knew I was single, so we we're talking about that. And I remember him saying something basically to the effect that the Bible tells us that we should all be married. And so you're not married, so what's wrong with you? And, you know, it took me a second just to, like, it caught me off guard. And I was like, is that, did he say what I just thought he said? And, you know, it's a parent, right? So I wanted to respect him. I was like, huh, yeah. <laughs> and just thought, but the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. And I went home, and I was just kind of stewing on this. And this was a parent that I had to see week in, week out, because he would drop his children off and pick them up. And that caused, like, some division. I didn't want to see him. You know, I didn't want to interact with him, so I avoided him. Uh, and I never really reconciled it with him. I never brought it up to his attention, just been, hey, brother, like that. You know, when you said that that one time, I don't know what you meant, but that, that really bothered me. That really made me angry. And maybe you guys can identify. You've had instances like this with people at church. And because of that, it's made you want to kind of remove yourself from it or avoid someone in particular. And I would say, man, to all of these and more, you know, there's no doubt church community is messy. Our church community is messy. People sin, they hurt each other, they disappoint each other from the senior pastor right on down. That is the truth. It's true at every church out there. It's the truth of the church here. And if we look at this isn't just something that we deal with in today, but this, is, this was all throughout the New Testament. This is what they dealt with as well. They weren't this idealized church who did everything right, had all the answers to it. But most of these letters that were written in the New Testament, they were written to churches that had problems. These churches were messed up too. And so the apostles would write to them and tell them, hey, this is what you're doing here. This is what you're doing right, but this is what you're doing wrong. Because they knew people were getting hurt within the church. And so they wanted to address this. They wanted to speak to this. And that's what, that was happening all the time there. 
And even all these people that we read about in the Bible, these pillars of the faith, these characters that God has used, man, in such powerful ways, and rightfully so, we hold them in high regard because of how faithful they were and how God used them. They all had issues too. They were all flawed. And if you don't believe me, I came across a great list. Really quickly, I'll read for you some major names in the Bible and the things they struggled with. Take a look up here. Elijah was suicidal. Job went bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. The disciples, they fell asleep while praying when Jesus was in his hour of his greatest need before he was about to be arrested and crucified. Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming one. All of these people that God used in powerful ways, they all had flaws just like us. Just like us. Just like me, just like you. But I think, you know, one thing we have to know is that the church is, if we can expect that, if we can know that, it kind of changes how we approach it. And Pastor Greg, he had, he had a great story, a great illustration. You know, when we go to a hospital, right, what do we expect to go see? When we go to a hospital, what do we expect to see? Right, hurt people, right, sick people, diseased people. We don't walk in there shocked that people are there trying to receive medical care because we know that's where they go to be cared for. That's their best hope to be healed. And in the same regard, when we come to the church, we have to expect that we're dealing with tons of flawed people, people who are struggling with issues, people who are coming to the church because they're seeking answers. They're seeking ways to change their lives. They're seeking access to a God who can comfort them and help them change their life and sanctify them. And when we come, we are part of that equation too because we're just as messed up as anybody else. Maybe we hide it in certain ways, but we have our own issues. And so we're coming to the church. This is a place where sinners come to be ministered to. I think if we can expect that, it's no longer a shock when we come and we see people who are damaged or don't react in the way that we want them to, but we realize, hey, this person's here because they know they need God. And how can I help them in that process? You know, we can say the church is flawed. We can say it's damaged, and I think that's very true. But there's also something amazing about the church. And I want to close our time with this. It's just the fact that God uses flawed people in spite of themselves to accomplish his work here on earth. And it's actually a sign of his grace. It's not a sign of his absence. And we see this in the church. We saw it in scripture and we see it here today that in spite of all of our messed up junk, God will take this church and take its people and use it to minister and care for others. They'll do it within the lives of you here and hopefully in the lives of the community and the people that we minister to. This is the church's story. As twisted as it can get, it's also a beautiful story of God's grace that he would choose, willingly choose, say, hey, I'm going to take these people and I'm going to use them for my purposes. Because I think when he does that, it shines the light on him. Because we aren't equipped to do it, but it's only through the grace of God and by his power that he's able to reach people, flawed people like you and me. God chooses to use the imperfect to reach the imperfect. And that's your final point, guys, that we need the church because God chooses to use imperfect people to reach the imperfect. So the question is, if I love Christ, why do I need the church? And I can't help but think if we weren't willing to commit to messy, imperfect people, we would be missing out on seeing in action some of the most beautiful characteristics and part of who Christ is. Yeah, I think about, you know, forgiving someone who hurts you. Maybe somebody who never asked for forgiveness. Maybe somebody who willingly knows that they hurt you. But if you can go to that person and you can say, hey, man, I forgive you. I love you. 
in spite of that brother and sister, what does that show you? What's coming out to play? That's showing the beauty of God's grace and care and forgiveness. That's that attribute that comes out and that you're displaying to somebody else and other people are able to see. I think about a pastor or a leader or a friend who said something that you didn't agree with, something maybe that rubbed you the wrong way, and now you have a tough time being around them, or maybe you walk through the church uh, hallways or lobby and you, you avoid them because you don't want to deal with it. I think, what does it look like to, to lovingly pull them aside and share what's going on and reconcile that? And what does that show you? That show, shows God's beautiful ability to bring people together to knock down something that's dividing you and to reconcile it under the love of God. That's what comes into action. So it's not just we come to church and we interact with people and we hope that they care for us, but it's, man, we get to repair circumstances that are damaging within the context of the church with our brother and sister. And there's something that's beautiful. There's something deeply scriptural about that. And I think the thing we can take here is from Romans 8, 28. says, and we know that in all things, the good and the bad that we experience in relationships in the church, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will take something of deep hurt, even if it happens within the church, and he will use it for his purposes if we continue to intentionally put ourselves in a position to interact and care for other people. And I think... This is the story of the church then, and that really needs to be the story of the church now. And we can live out this scripture that we see in Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us not remove ourselves from our church family. Let us not take ourselves away from that. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we can live this out, church, this is what God designed us to be. Let us not forsake the church, but let us dive headlong into it. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you for the church, Lord. Uh, we thank you for it because remember, we know more than anybody how messy it can be and how difficult, difficult it can be. We've all probably had experiences like that. But man, Father, the church is beautiful. And the church is something you highly prioritize. You gave your life for the church, for each and every one of us. And I think that shows the importance behind it. And so, Lord, you know, I know each person here, uh, you know, they are a part of your family. They're a part of this church that, you know, if they're struggling in some way, uh, Lord, relationally, uh, Lord, that you would help them to be able to work that out. That they could be a strong, thriving member of the church, Lord. And that if it's not this church here, that you would call them to a different church that would know you and a church that would hold your values up and preach the word of God, Lord. Father, we are all unified. We're all part of the South Bay Community Church, but we're all part of the universal church as well. Lord, we pray that your presence continues to reign here, Father. We pray that people who feel like they're not welcomed by the church or feel judged by the church be able to come into these doors, Father, and see the exact opposite, that there's a group of people who are just as messy as them, but that love them and welcome them and accept them and are willing to walk with them in the sanctification process, Father. Help us to be a part of that, Lord, in whatever way you're calling us to. We love you, Father, and by extension, we love your people, and so we love the church. We pray all these things in your precious name, Father. Amen.